So, Father, right now we just thank you for all the teachers, all the helpers, all the students, all the preschool teachers, all the daycare people. We just, Father, we just speak wisdom over them. We speak peace upon them in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your protection over them. We thank you that this is going to be a good year for them. We thank you that the students are going to learn. They're going to catch up this year. We thank you, Father, for supernatural wisdom upon the young and supernatural wisdom upon the teachers of how to teach and what to teach and when to teach it so that they're right at the right place when it is needed. And so, Father, we just thank you for each and every child that you've given us. We bless them in the name of Jesus and we say thank you. Amen and amen. Well, kids, you can take off to your classrooms. Go have a fun time with your teachers. I think you guys got Pastor Wendy this morning. (laughs) Well, praise God. Father, we just thank you for the name of Jesus. We thank you that it is the name that is above every name. We thank you that every knee has to bow to it. Every name will yield itself under the name of Jesus. And so, Jesus, in this place, we exalt you. We magnify you. You said that if you be lifted up, that you would draw all men unto you. And so we magnify the name of Jesus. Oh, we put it higher above everything else. We say that you are our priority, Jesus. You are our focus. And so right now, we look to you. We look to you. Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you take hold with us as we open your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, are you ready to jump right into it this morning, everyone? Well, we are long into the midst of a series on the Holy Spirit. This is like week 12 or week 13, and we're going to keep on trucking. We still got lots of things to say, lots of things to bring into remembrance, but I would love to jump in today right into Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans chapter 8 for me has got to be, it's close to being one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. It's like a tie between Romans 8 and Romans 5. And I, I always find myself being drawn back to Romans 8 because there's so many great things that Paul has said in it. And right here in verse number 1, it star, starts off and says, There is therefore now. Everyone say, Now. Now. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Paul says right now, and if it was now in his time, how much more now in your time, right? Condemnation is not the language of God. Love and freedom, mercy and forgiveness, righteousness and justification. These are the languages of God. Condemnation is not the language of God. But I find it interesting that it goes on to say, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And so right now, as we go through these next few verses, Paul is contrasting two different lifestyles. And one of those lifestyles leads you into a self-condemning mentality, and the other leads you into a mentality of freedom and peace. And so we're going to make that division right here at the first. You can bring yourself back under the law. You can bring yourself back under condemnation by your choice. It's not God's choice, but it's your choice. 
And so in verse two he says, for the law of the spirit of life. I like that. The spirit is life, right? The Holy Spirit that we've been talking about for the last 12 or 13 weeks, he is life. Okay, maybe he's only life to me this morning. No, the Holy Spirit is life, right? The Holy Spirit is life, and that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, that's past tense, right? Has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, let's just think about that for a second. There are things that the law couldn't do. And we have people, we have Christians today that are fighting to have the Ten Commandments put back into law houses. Why don't you fight for the great commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. Because the law was weak. Because the flesh was weak. But God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so as Paul is contrasting two different lifestyles, we have a lifestyle that he refers to as a lifestyle of following after the flesh. And what is he referring there? He's talking about that our, 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 our whole life is revolved around natural things. You know, you can be in this world and not of this world. That's what Jesus said about us or Peter said about us, that you're not in the world. You're of it, not, you're in it, but not of it. Let me get my words straight there. And so if you can have a life that is focused after God, you can also have a life that is completely focused after the flesh. And they take you different places and you will receive different things from them. And I'm finding more and more that Christians are wanting to live in this life of flesh, but yet still walk in the things of God. And he's saying they're two different paths. These happen when you follow this path and these will happen when you follow this path. It's like if I want to go to Kingston, I got to head the right direction on Highway 15, right? And if I want to go to Ottawa, I head the opposite direction on Highway 15 and get on to 7. And so if you're traveling down the wrong road, you will get to the wrong place. And if you're at the wrong place, you will be receiving the wrong things because it's not where you've been called to be. And so Paul says that there's a walk of the flesh or there's a walk of the Spirit. And we cannot walk this God life that God has called us to in our strength or our ability. It's not something you can do because just like when the law was the root, it said the flesh was weak. Nothing's changed in the flesh, but something changed in the Spirit. And he will also never force you to use what is given by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that were put on the inside of you when you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, but he will never force you. Perfect gentleman. He is a perfect gentleman. He does not move where he is not welcome. He does not get involved where he's not been asked to get involved. But when you invite him in, my goodness, he is ever ready to say, yeah, what can we do? What can, can I take hold together with you? And verse 5 goes on to say, for those 
who live according to the flesh or that natural mindset, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And I like the word that's used there for set. And in the King James Version, it says those who follow after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And it reminds me of when I was a child and, you know, you start to sass off and you say the wrong thing. And my mother would say, you mind your manners. And what she was saying is, you choose very carefully your next words and your next actions because you have the ability to choose them. And if you choose poorly, I like what she used to say to us, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. And so when he's saying to set your mind, it is you choosing the course. It's you choosing the direction that your mind will dwell on. And so the the Greek word that's used there means to direct one's mind to a thing or to seek after or to strive for. And so when he says we have one group of people, they direct their mind to the things of the flesh or the things of the world. They seek after the things of the world. They strive for the things of the world. And he contrasts it with another group who they direct their minds to the things of the Spirit, the things of God. They seek after the things of the Spirit. They strive for the things of the Spirit. And so what we see by the language that's used that there is an active participation required on us as Christians. There's things that you want that will only happen when you get up and you get involved with them. As long as we continue to just wait and wait and say, oh, I would love to see these things that the early church walked in, unless you're willing to get involved in and participate with them, you will not see them. And the next verse goes on to say, for to be carnally minded is death. And the word that that used for death there can refer to misery on earth. Come on, we all know Christians that are just as miserable as the world, right? Why? Because their minds are set on the things of this earth. But he says, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We all know Christians that could use some more life and peace. Come on, let's direct this at ourselves now. Do you think you could use some more life and peace in your life today? So it happens when we become spiritually minded or we choose to set our thoughts on the things of the Spirit because what you focus on, you will gravitate towards. When, when I was taking driver's ed back in high school, the instructor told us that when you're driving down the road, wherever you look to, you will end up going to. So if you're gazing out at the sunset going down, you begin to drift. And the thing is, you don't always recognize that you've got that drift going on, but your focus is setting your direction. And so if you have a life that is focused on the Holy Spirit and expectation to be receiving His things, you begin to gravitate and move towards that. If your life is focused on this world, your life will continue to gravitate towards that. So we got that. Paul is contrasting two different lifestyles, and he says to be carnally minded is death. 
misery, misery here on this earth, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Which is why he told the Philippians, he said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What is the, the whole act of meditation? It's directing your mind to a place. It's choosing to focus on something. And he says, even goes on to make it more easy for them. He says, the things which you learned and you received and you heard and you saw in me, these do. There's that active participation. These do. Not the Holy Spirit will do for you. He won't make you step out in the things of the Spirit, but you, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. The path of peace is when you choose to say, God, I want all that you have for me. Well, how, how can I let you get involved in my day-to-day, God? I thank you that as I approach this day, I recognize your leading. I recognize your positioning. I, I know your voice, Holy Spirit. I recognize when you're moving and I choose to follow. That has to do with setting your mind and having an expectation for him to flow. You know, I like what Mark Hankins said. He said that expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. If you expect nothing, you continually get nothing. But I love what Keith Moore said. He said, expect the best and deal with rest. I would rather set my sights high, and even if I only got halfway, that's better than getting no way at all. So, How does that tie into what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit? Well, on Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. They were with one accord. What does that mean when it says they were with one accord? It's the word homothemaden, which means they were with one mind, with one accord, or with one passion. Now, this doesn't mean they were all thinking the exact same thing. This is talking about where their focus lies. They had an expectation. And what was that expectation? Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father that you'll receive not many days from now. He said you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the 120 gathered that day, there was an expectation the Holy Spirit was about to move. The Holy Spirit was coming. And so that led them to be focused in a unified direction. And that's the thing I love about the Holy Spirit. He is the great unifier. He knows how to bring people together. When the world and its thought processes are constantly trying to divide people, the Holy Spirit said, no, let's be of one mind. Let's be of one accord. Let's be of one passion. And let that be a God focus. Let that be a Holy Spirit focus. 
And the word homothemaiden that he uses here is a compound word of two different words. And the first one is to rush along, and the second one means in unison. So that kind of seems strange. What is he referring to? You can think of it very musically. When when a when an orchestra is working together, they're all playing different parts, but they all comprise the whole. You got the tuba going boom, boom. Boom, boom. And maybe you got the clarinet then playing the melody. And if you were to take just the one part by itself, you would say, oh, that's nice. And then you hear the the clarinet going and you're like, okay, well, that's different than what this one is saying. But when you step back and you look at the whole, they all orchestrate and work together, each one supplying their own part that is needed of the necessary whole. It's kind of like the body of Jesus. What did we say? The Holy Spirit in his work in salvation, he takes you and he puts you into the body and each part of that body is necessary. Man, when, you, when something doesn't work in your body, you find out how necessary that thing is, right? You know, I always remember I'm going to pick on Pastor Robin. He, uh, a couple of years ago, actually it was like 10, 15 years ago, you were, you were walking through uh, the old family room we had, and he, he stubbed his toe. Was it off of a turtle? A, 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 yeah, the base of the fireplace. And he broke his toes, and they were shooting out the other direction. You know, your, your baby toe, it, it is a very small part of your body, but when it's not working, you recognize it, right? And so I love it. He was just lying there on the floor, and my mom came in and was like, you know, what do you want me to do? And he said, just point them all in the right direction. <laughs> And then he put his skate on because he didn't want his foot to swell. He was going to hockey. He's like, if I don't put my skate on now, I won't get it on. And he went and played hockey anyways. But when, when something isn't working properly, you recognize it. You recognize that, oh, that part was actually needed. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. Each one of us is needed. Not one part is more important than another. Your part is very important because we can't do it without you. And so one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he takes our uniqueness, he takes our difference, our gift, our talents, and he blends it together with the other members of the body to present effective whole that is fit for the use of the master. And so as they were all together on the day of Pentecost, they were in one accord. The Holy Spirit had already begun to blend them together. And it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see on the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, he rests upon them and they begin to speak out in other tongues as they are filled. When P, uh, Peter went down to the household of Cornelius in Acts 10 verse 44, it says, well, he was speaking the word, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. 
When uh, Paul was praying and uh, laying hands on the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19, it says, when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And so here we see it, our examples that are given to us of people being filled with the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. And so in the time we have left today, I want to preach a message called, What's Up With Tongues? We, we got to address this. We got to talk, talk about it head on because it's something that we see happening through the book of Acts, but our modern church is very much trying to distance themselves from it. You know, even ch- churches that we would call Pentecostal, charismatic, they're trying to relegate it to the back room where nobody can see because they, they don't want to be embarrassed about what they believe. It's time for Christians to get over being embarrassed about the things of God. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes? He said, you will receive power once the Holy Spirit has come. So we've got to talk about these things. We've got to walk in these things because we can't leave part of the package that he's given us behind. We need the whole, right? And so we can say, well, why does it just show up in the book of Acts? Like, you know, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin to speak out in tongues. Why didn't we hear about it beforehand? Well, we did. We just often choose to ignore it. In Mark chapter 16, this is one of the conversations before the one in Acts 1. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We remember that part. We call it the Great Commission. We go, we preach, we tell others. And it says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17, And these signs will, everyone say will, follow those who believe. Not follow those who don't believe, Right? We're talking about believers. We're talking about people who are pursuing that life of the Spirit, who are walking after the things of God and not after the things of the flesh. They will. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. So why, if, if Jesus said here that it's something that will happen for believers, why does most of the body of Christ today believe that it's not something that's for us? Come on, I've gr- I grew up in churches where I heard people say that this is of the devil. Well, then why did Jesus just tell me that would happen if it was of the devil? No, it says those who will follow will believe. Well, those things have been done away with. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. He says they, they will cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. How come Christians like the first part, well, I can't even say that they like it these days, where he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but then leave out the second part? It's all part of the same promise. Now, when it comes to talking about, he says, they'll take up serpents, he's not talking about you go finding snakes and playing with snakes. When he says about uh, poison, about not hurrying, he's not talking about you going out there drinking poison saying, oh, I'm so spiritual because I can do these things. No, if you want a good biblical example of how this works, Paul on the island of Malta. 
He's gathering up sticks for the fire. A poisonous snake comes out of the sticks and bites him on the hand and he pulls it up and he shakes it off and the people of the island, they go, oh, this man must have been a criminal that, went, that was on that ship. And we'll just walk, stand back and watch him die. It must be God's justice upon him. But then after they saw that he didn't die, they said, oh, he must be a God and then they wanted to hear what he had to say. This, when he talks about the serpents and the poison, he's talking about God's divine protection that is supposed to be upon you. In these days, you don't have to be subject to the ills of this world. He said that he bore all sickness and all pain on his back and that by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. And so that's what he's referring to there with serpents and poison. It's about God's protection. So he says that we can cast out demons. We'll speak with new tongues. We don't have to be subject to harm. And it says we'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But he said they will speak with new tongues. Now, some people take this and they they say, well, that's just God giving you the supernatural ability to speak in languages that you don't know for the benefit of others. And that is something that happens under the power of the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak with other tongues. They flooded out into the streets of Jerusalem. They said, oh, these guys are just drunk. And Peter said, no, they're they're not drunk. It's only the ninth hour of the morning. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit. But it said they all heard them speaking in their own languages from whatever region they were from, and they heard them magnify God. And so that is something that can happen under the power of the Holy Spirit. I know people that that's happened to. You know, a great example, I think, with Brother Hagen, there was one of his um, uh, um, movies about being uh, filled with the Spirit and flowing in the Spirit. And as he was going through the crowd, just laying hands on people, praying in other tongues, he turned to the camera and he began to speak in a language that he didn't know. And they didn't find out for like 10 years later that there was a tribe up north in Canada that uh, they had really isolated and some missionaries had went and they took that video with them and as they were playing that video when he turned to the camera and began to speak with other tongues he spoke in their language that like less than 150 200 people in the world even speak and he blessed them in their native language and they all fell out in the power of the Holy Spirit so it that is something that can happen where the, the Holy Spirit can speak through you and use languages that you don't know. There's lots of historical examples of that happening, but that's not the extent or the fullness of what the Holy Spirit is doing when he speaks with other tongues. The word there, speak with new, is the word kainos, which means new, fresh, or of a new kind. So when he says speaking of new tongues, he's saying that there's fresh languages that are not from this earth that you can go ahead and speak in when you're filled with the Holy Spirit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What did Paul said? He said, what, what is it if I pray with my understanding or if I pray with the, t- the tongues of men and of angels? He's not talking about natural languages there. And so he said there's new, fresh, or a new kind of languages or dialects. And so why, why, does the, uh, th- why is this one of the things that is involved with the Holy Spirit? Well, we just read there in Matthew chapter 16 that it's given by God as one of his signs 
for believers. Let me say that again. It's given by God as one of His. Everyone say His. His signs for believers. You do not have the right to question His decision. Oh, that got silent. If it's something He decided should happen, who are we to say no? It's kind of like when He said, those who believe will be saved. And people are saying, well, there's many ways to Jesus, many ways we can get to God. No, there's His way. You don't get to question that decision. It's what he set out. And so here he says that his believers will speak with new tongues. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now it's important to note that the word gifts is in italics, which means it's not there in the Greek. It was added by the translators for ease of understanding. And so this really says, pursue love and desire spirituals, spiritual things. There should be a desire within us to follow after the things that the Holy Spirit brings. And he says, but especially that you may prophesy. Now next week, we'll get in the, into the contrast that Paul is making here in 1 Corinthians 14 between prophecy and speaking in tongues. But the next verse says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So when you're praying in other tongues, who are you talking to? God. And the reason why people get so caught up in like, why should we do this? It's because they don't understand. But you're not talking to you. You're not talking to your neighbor. When you're praying in other tongues, Paul said, we're speaking to God. We don't understand it. However, in the Spirit, He speaks mysteries. But what's important about the, to know about the mysteries is there is they're not mysteries to God. They're only mysteries to you. So there's things that the Holy Spirit and God know that you don't. And that's okay. When you pray... In other tongues, you're talking to God and you're speaking out those mysteries. And so if the first one is it's his sign for those who believe, the second one is it gives you a direct line to God. We're saying, well, why do I need that? You know, doesn't God understand what I'm saying right now in English? Yep. But it's not for his benefit. It's for yours. You know, in Romans chapter 8, back to that chapter that we started with, in verse 26 it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When you don't know how to pray as you ought, there's another way you can pray. 
And have you ever been in the position where you've run out of things to say? There's only so many adjectives that you know. There's so many things that you know to talk about. Only so much scripture that you know that you can pray through. The Holy Spirit then takes hold with you and prays through you with intercession that is in perfect line with the will of God. Well, how do we know that? The next verse tells us. It says, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Do you want to know how to pray the perfect will of God? Pray in other tongues. Because it bypasses your understanding. It says back in 1 Corinthians 14 that our understanding is unfruitful. Meaning your brain doesn't, isn't catching what's going on, and that's okay. Sometimes your brain is the limitation. It is the cap. And so he gives us a way to pray the perfect will of God that bypasses our weaknesses or our limitations. You know, I like how this verse is rendered in the Passion Translation. It says, in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty, to empower us in our weakness. For example, we, there are times we don't know how to pray or know the best things to ask, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to supersede, intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs that are too deep for word. I like how the imagery of that, the Holy Spirit rises up from us to in, super intercede on our behalf. Why is that important? Many people live right here. They live out of their knowledge. They live out of their understanding. But the book of Proverbs says that our spirit is right here. It says the spirit of God is the candle of man, that it searches all the inward parts. And so the Holy Spirit rises up from the inside. And sometimes when you're praying in other tongues, you can be sitting there and your mind is thinking about other things and it's going off. And it's like, no, no, it's not here. It comes from here. The next verse says, God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. Do you know the fullness of God's plan for you? Do you know God's destiny that he has for you? No. But the Holy Spirit does. And when we allow him to pray through us the perfect will of God, we're praying for those things that we may not even step in until years down the road, but we're already laying the path. We're making straight the ways before us. Amen? And so he prays in line with the perfect will of God. He prays perfect prayers through us. And I think that's great because, you know, I'm not one of those people that is like, you know, some people are just so eloquent when they pray. You know, they always seem to know the right thing to say. No, I'm not that type of person. I'm kind of like, I say what needs to be said, use the words that needed to be said, and then shut up and get out of the way. The Holy Spirit, though, he prays perfect prayers through us. What else happens when you pray in the Holy Spirit? It strengthens us. It builds us up. That's what 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, that he who speaks in a strange tongue edifies and improves himself. 
You know, in the world that we live in, we're all so wrapped up in self-help and self-improvement books. There's people who've made millions and millions of dollars telling people, you know, just relax, take a deep breath, maybe have a nap, you know? And so we're so, we're so wrapped up in these self-improvement things, and I don't see anything wrong with that. We should be consistently improving us. But how much some more God improvement through praying in other tongues? It says you edify, which the word edify means to build up and strengthen, and it improves you. When you pray in another tongue, you could come out a better version of you at the other end. And some of us should probably spend a little more time praying in the Holy Spirit because I know, man, I need improvement. Number five, it builds us up in faith. Jude chapter 1 verse 20 says, but you, everyone say me, me. beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Building yourself up in faith as you pray in the Holy Spirit, why? Because it takes faith to pray in the Holy Spirit. When your mind is not knowing what's going on and you're speaking out mysteries from the Spirit, you do it by faith. And as you exercise your faith, you know what happens? Just like your body, when you exercise it, it gets stronger. When you use it, you get better at using it. And so in the same way that it takes faith to pray in the Holy Spirit, it builds yourself up in your ability to believe. Number six is we're coming in for a landing. It brings rest to us. How many of us could use a little more rest these days? You know, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 28. He said, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest which make, you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. That's what Isaiah prophesied long before the coming of the Holy Spirit, that there was a rest and a refreshing available that came through tongues that aren't understood or with stammering lips is how he put it. And he said, yet they would not hear. And so many of us in the body of Christ are in the same position. We just, no, 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 I want things that I can understand. I want things that I can wrap. If you want things that you always can wrap your mind around, you need to stop following after God because he's, he's got things that you never even considered yet. You're talking about the guy who created everything in this universe. We're, we're still discovering things every day in science that God knew in a flash of a moment when he spoke this world into existence. So if you want things that only you can wrap your mind around, go ahead and give up. You're going to have a boring life. He knows things that you will never know. So they would not hear. So how do we know he's talking specifically, though, about praying in other tongues? Because Paul made the connection for us. In 1 Corinthians 14, 21, he quotes Isaiah saying, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak to this people, but for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. 
And so there's a rest and a refreshing that comes to us as we pray in other tongues. There's a building up of your faith and a strengthening of your faith. There's an edification and an improvement that comes to you when you're praying in other tongues. There's a perfect will of God being prayed out for your life when you're speaking in other tongues and you're exercising that gift that God said was a gift to his believers that they will speak with other tongues. And so with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and I want to end with this, he says, praying always, everyone say always. If, if we're to be praying always, or he told the, the, the Thessalonians, he said, pray without ceasing. How do you do that if you only know so much, you only have so many words to use, how do you pray always? Well, the thing is, you can be praying in the Holy Spirit all the time and your neighbor doesn't even need to know you're doing it. You can be praying under your breath while you're at work and nobody even knows that you're building yourself. They may just look at you and be like, man, why are they so happy today? This has been a really bad day at work. Well, there's rest and refreshing, a building up that is happening. You can be praying in the Holy Spirit as much as you want, as little or as much. What did we start with? He said, those who walk after the flesh, they choose that path. They choose that direction, and therefore they reap the rewards of it. And there's those who walk after the Spirit. They choose that path. They choose to interact with that. They direct their minds to those things. They seek after them. They strive for them. You are the one who chooses for you. And so he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Being watchful with perseverance. Those are those active words that we were talking about at the beginning. You taking hold with Him. He can't pray for you, but He can pray through you if you'll take hold. Father, we just thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That it's a free gift that has been offered for us. That we can receive, just like those who know in the book of Acts, that we can receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We can speak with new tongues. salvation, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're not feeling well, whatever it is, someone would love to pray with you. When we come to church, if there's something that is, there's a need, you should find someone to pray with. And so we're going to have people that are available just to pray with you in whatever it is. But guys, the Holy Spirit is a gift given to you. Pastor Robin.
say it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> anyway, we appreciate whatever, whatever happens with that. Anyway, I want to go to um, uh, situation here in Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight, and uh, let me just build you the, the scenario. What's happening? Here. Um, it's the Macedonians giving, and um, Paul talks to them. Corinthians were going to be giving, Macedonians already had. The Macedonians, Paul uh, says, had a grace, the grace of God to do this very thing. And with the grace of God, they were able to give beyond their own ability. Now, Pastor Jordan was talking about walking, you know, walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. So they could give in the flesh and there'd be a certain number, but if they gave in the spirit, God seemed to increase that. So as we get down to verse 8, he says, um, the Corinthians, this is what Paul said to the Corinthians, but as you abound in increase in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. And so as I'm looking at that, I'm saying there's a specific asset of grace for giving. And uh, and so as I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, I just expanded my whole thought process about grace. It's ability because we're talking about you know, have the grace of God and so on, and the Jesus you know, giving us grace and so on. But there's so many aspects of it, and it's without measure. Because Paul also said, you know, uh, may, you know, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, that means there's no cap to this. I mean, there's a lot of grace, and it can be multiplied. And so in this area, he said, and so on, in verse 9, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through it, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Amen? This is the walking in the Spirit and giving at the same time. Amen? And God is able to do that for you. Amen? Glory. And it's not in your ability, it's the ability God gives you through grace. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Great. So that is it. Um, again, if you need prayer, we have a couple of people. The rest of us, be blessed. See you again.